Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi there, I'm Maura McGoodwin. Welcome to The Females, a podcast from Career Contessa that delivers helpful, actionable career tips and advice for women so you can be more fulfilled, healthy, and successful at work. As you've probably seen our other messaging across Career Contessa, we stand in solidarity with the Black community against racism, hate, and injustice. Silence and complacency have no place in our world, and especially not on our platform or on this podcast. Our values and humanity have called us to action. And that means by financially supporting Black-led nonprofit organizations working toward improving racial inequality, as well as creating resources that teach white and non-Black people how to apply their privilege to be actively anti-racist as we continue to educate ourselves. With this commitment in mind, we've decided that in addition to keeping our Tuesday release schedule, we will sporadically release episodes on Thursdays, not as a bonus, but as an avenue to discuss topics that need to be addressed today. Actionable advice that you can utilize in the context of the current state of the world. On today's episode, we're joined again by Felicia, Jadzak, and Rachel Murray, the founders of She Geeks Out. As a refresher, Felicia and Rachel joined the females last summer for an episode titled How to Navigate Power and Privilege at Work, which I linked to in the show notes, and that really acts as more like a part one to this episode. My goal for this episode is to share education around anti-racism and actionable ways white and non-Black people can be allies to people of color at work and in life. This is the time to take action and join Career Contessa in this ongoing education around racism and white privilege. And now this is The Females. Hi, Felicia and Rachel. Welcome to The Females. And as a refresher for everyone listening who maybe didn't already listen to your first Females podcast episode, even though we did put that in the show notes, can you both share a brief background on you and even She Geeks Out? And, and Rachel, we can start with you. Sure. So this is Rachel, as you uh, introduced me. <laughs> I'm the co-founder, co-CEO of She Geeks Out. And my role with the company is I do a lot of the back end, but I also run community. And so very quickly, we run events for women in tech and tech adjacent roles, very much virtual these days, which is great. Um, that means we are officially global. And we also offer corporate training on diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I've been in tech for, oh my gosh, over 20 years now. So a lot of experience, a lot of, lot of changes I've seen over the decades now. So, And Felicia, what about you? Hi, Felicia here. Thank you for having us. And yeah, so Rachel already introduced a bit around She Geeks Out. My background's also in tech, but nowhere near as extensive as Rachel's is. But I have done a lot of different things, including program management and other other roles in the tech industry before taking the leap into entrepreneurship with Rachel. We met in 2013 and we started running events for women in tech in the Boston area then. And then we officially formed She Geeks Out in 2015. So we've actually just celebrated our fifth birthday Congratulations. as a company. That's Thank awesome. You. We're going to kindergarten. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and it's uh, it's you guys have also done an amazing job pivoting to virtual events. So, because I know a lot of your events before were in person, right? 
Yes. Yeah. The majority of our events were in person. This is Felicia speaking again. And as Rachel mentioned earlier, I like to say that we have two sides of the house for She Geeks Out. So we have our community, which is still very much near and dear to our hearts and our women and their allies are, are wonderful. And we have been running events for them all over, but especially in the Boston area, we were doing two to three events per month in person up until Corona hit. And then on the other side of the house, which is where I spend more of my time, we run our diversity, equity, inclusion training. And that was also primarily in person, although we've been doing virtual live and pre-recorded and online courses since 2017. So we actually have a bit more experience in pivoting on that side. But yes, it's been a lot of um, quick pivots. And thankfully, it looks like our clients and community are along for the ride. And, yeah. and what's and this is Rachel again. One of the things that's so interesting about this is that I actually was in Boston, but I moved to California in mid December. So our team has been working a lot on how to have best practices, making sure that that all voices are heard pretty consistently for our community remotely. So, so you were kind of prepared. <laughs> we were a little, just maybe, a little bit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> as prepared as one can be. For I, a I was just going to say exactly <laughs> as prepared as you can be when your whole world's about to be flipped upside down. Right. Well, <laughs> talking about things that are upside down, let's talk about where we are right now. The U.S. is absolutely in a state of civil unrest as protests have erupted across several American cities. I'm, I'm in Los Angeles. You know, Boston and Rachel. You're in which city? San Diego. Okay. We're so neighbors. We are all experiencing these protests following the viral video showcasing the killing of a black man named George Floyd in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as well as just a few weeks ago, there was public outcry over the killing of Ahmed Aubrey and Brona Taylor, plus so many other black lives. I, I mean, I don't know. I, I This has been a tough episode to even think about how to have because nearly three months of a global lockdown combined with the disproportionate amount of Black people impacted by COVID-19. Then you throw in mass unemployment, which is, you know, 40 million that people are facing. And then we've added another layer, which is the structural and systemic racism experiencing nearly every facet of life. It's just, it's a really disastrous combination. And this is by no means meant for you guys to have all the answer, but just like, what do you guys make of this time in history besides that it's, it's very depressing, obviously. Yeah, I, I keep saying to my partner that historians are going to have so much to deal with, yeah. with this, let it's, alone this this decade, this year, this month. It's just, there's so much happening. And this is Felicia speaking again. I think that, you know, you've touched on a couple huge things that in their own rights are, we could spend ages discussing any one of those points that you just right. brought up, Lauren. But I think that what's really, at least for me, what's really become clear is that we are just coming, it's all coming to a head. Yeah. And so I think when we start off looking at the effects of coronavirus worldwide, as you mentioned, Rachel and I have been talking a lot about how it's, you know, people are saying, oh, it's the great equalizer. Well, it's actually not. It's it's exposing how unequal we are. And I think that the protests and the unrest and, you know, George Floyd's murder and Breonna Teller's murder and, and all these other things that are happening are symptoms of that, that just that fact that we are not equal. And there is this deep-seated systemic racism and inequality that just permeates our society down to the very bone. And I think that's really what we're seeing right now. Yeah, and and I'm glad that that you said all of that. If this had happened 20 years ago, without the level of technology that we have, because I mean the reality is that these things have been going on for centuries. Right. People just now have, and we've had, you know, we've had video proof of these things mm-hmm. happening also for at least probably around a decade. But I do think that having more time and more unemployment, with you know increased access to internet makes it this tinderbox, you know, also not, it's not helpful having an incredibly racist, misogynistic president who is also espousing these. And so a complete lack of leadership is also what we're facing. So it's, it's, it makes sense that it's happening now. It's awful, but it makes sense. Right. It's, uh, as we said, it's quote unquote, perfect storm of disaster happening at all angles. And I know that many people are looking for answers and and a better understanding of how to fight against racism and injustice and societal inequalities, anti-racism education and resources are just so greatly needed. Obviously, this is work that was already 
part of, of what you guys are, are thinking about and trying to get out there. I mean, I guess, how, how does that make you feel just as business owners too? I mean, this is Rachel. I'll just quickly say, I'm like, welcome to the party. Right. Bring <laughs> yeah. it. Because, you know, as a white woman, I haven't, you know, this has been a journey for me absolutely as well. And so I'm grateful. I was grateful and I continue to be grateful when anyone educates me on any, on any of these topics. So I'm, I'm all, all about it. Like, sure. It'd be great to say, where were you? But you know, the reality is meet them where they are. So. Yeah. And you know, it's interesting too, because we're all on our own journeys around the learning and understanding and education in these areas. And no one's perfect, right? And even as an organization, She Geeks Out has evolved so dramatically because when we started back in 2013, we were very narrowly focused Mm -hmm. on women, women in tech, women Mm -hmm. in tech in Boston, and also a very narrow, by today's standards, definition of what a woman is. Mm -hmm. And we have learned so much you know, ourselves as we've, as we've been running this business and as we've been plugged into our community. And so for anyone who's listening, was it last year, Rachel? I feel like, what is time? I don't even know. (laughs) Yeah. I think, I think it was last year, but correct me if I'm wrong. Last year, we decided to add a plus to our name because we realized that where we started was not where we were at that point. It's not where we are today, right? And so a lot of people are like, oh, you are just a woman's organization or you just deal with gender diversity. But we're actually a lot more than that because it's very intersectional. We just put out a letter to our community today and in it we said, you know, feminism and specifically our feminism is intersectional. We can't talk about one group that's being oppressed without talking about all groups that are being oppressed. And so adding the plus to our name was an outward signal of our own learning journey in the sense that we recognize that women, that term encompasses a whole wide variety of groups of people. And we wanted to welcome in people who were trans women who are gender non-binary, who were allies. And so, you know, that's maybe a plus is a very small thing, but it's, it's one step towards that. And so I think that for people who are sort of waking up and thinking, oh, what's going on? You know, it, it's, it, it's okay to, to not know everything, but what's not okay is willful ignorance. And so right. I think we're really at this moment where a lot of people are maybe late to the party, but guess what? Like, even we don't know everything and we're really deep in it. And so it's, it's a ever evolving conversation. Right. No, absolutely. Ever evolving. So people can think of at least this episode, if it's your first time thinking about this or not, we, we, we want this to be that one of those first steps as you're, you just mentioned. So that's why on today's episode, we're going to discuss what does it mean to actually be actively anti-racist and specific ways you can use your power and privilege to be, again, actively anti-racist. So let's get into it. Before we discuss the difference between quote unquote not racist and being actively anti-racist, can you provide some context around what is white privilege? And as a white woman, I will admit that for a very long time, that word made me cringe or I definitely stereotyped it with a certain type of, you know, a person who is actively racist. So, and I'm learning a lot about what, what white privilege really means, but I would, I would love for you guys to maybe just provide some context around that because I think a lot of people potentially are in my boat where they think, oh, I don't have white privilege because I'm, I'm not a racist, you know, I'm not this. And so there is, a, there's an education that I think has to start with that. Felicia, maybe we can have you start. Sure thing. And I guess I'll start with the really simple statement, which is that if you're white, you have white privilege. Like there's just no getting around it. And so really when we're talking about white privilege, what we're referring to is the societal privilege that tends to benefit white people over people who are not white in, let's be real, most societies in this world, especially if you have the same set of circumstances. And so basically you can have someone who has had to struggle to get ahead in life, who was born really poor, who had a lot of disadvantages, who had to work hard, who's white, but that doesn't mean that you still didn't benefit from some kind of white privilege. And we can, of course, go down that whole rabbit hole, but I'll take a pause there and see if Rachel has anything she wants to add to that. Yeah, no, I think that you said it perfectly. I'm glad that you brought that up, that context of like, you're absolutely right. You can be poor, you can be a woman, and you you can have certain disadvantages. This is where the term intersectionality is so important. You can have other identities, but when you are white, you are just granted certain privileges that you don't even see from birth. So and we can get into that some more too, but I think that's, you know, that's really at the heart of it is it's it's a lot of it is unseen. And so 
because it's so instinctual and it's so, it's so, it's so, I should say it's so baked in to us as a society, how we were born into all of this. It is incredibly difficult to see until you really start to dig deeper into what that means. Yeah. And I, I absolutely believe that a first step is like you just said, Felicia, like if you're white, you have white privilege, like you should acknowledge that and and own it and not I guess, shy away from, as you guys said in your last episode, because I, I re-listened to that before we got on today. And I thought it was interesting because you said, it's not about if you're a good person or not, if you're white, you have privilege, right? This is not a good versus bad. And so right. I, I do think there's just just a, an education and understanding about that that is pretty easy to to misunderstand. So I truly believe that it's not enough to be not racist. I think people need to be actively anti-racist. And can we explain what the difference is with those two things? Because somebody might be saying, oh, but those kind of sound the same, right? But but they're not. So Rachel, let's start with you. There's a couple of terminologies. There's bystander and upstander. So I think it's very easy for people to sort of stand back if they see something, if they see somebody say something that maybe is offensive, is racist, and they just don't want to cause a stir. They don't want to stir the pot. You know, they don't want to get in trouble. They don't want to become, look, I understand that. I don't like confrontation either. I think that's the way most of us feel. So that is, that's sort of like, I'm not a racist, but I'm just going to step back. Being actively anti-racist is really putting yourself out there, being, getting more comfortable challenging people who have those views that you don't agree with. Um, to to go out and lock arms in places that may not feel very safe. Those are just a few examples, I think, of being more actively anti-racist. I'll let Felicia say more or correct me. <laughs> yeah, no, I think you really hit on sort of two of the key pieces there, Rachel, which is this idea around passivity or, or passiveness versus activeness. And so the way that I think of non-racist versus anti-racist has actually been informed quite a bit by the writings of Ibram X. Kendi, who is an author, has a couple of really awesome books out there. And I think even just in today's Atlantic put out an article. And so he uh, is also the founding director of the Anti-Racist Research and Policy Center at American University. And so he has huge books that dig into this, but I'll try to make it really brief. His take is that non-racist is really people who sort of deny that they're racist or deny their white privilege or, or don't acknowledge what's going on around them. And it's kind of just like you were saying, Rachel, standing by, being that bystander and not really actively engaging at all. Anti-racism is someone who views different groups, different races as equal, and who actively is working to try and change what is happening in the world and is trying to upend the state of oppression and aim for racial equality. So there's really this idea of, are you accepting what's going on? Even if you're like, oh, this doesn't look good, this doesn't look good, or I don't like this, but I'm not going to say anything. Or are you actively putting yourself out there, saying something, standing up, putting your body on the line. And that's, to me, the real difference between those two terms. Absolutely. I just got his book on Kindle and our whole team at Career Contessa, we're now starting a Career Contessa book club. And every month we are going to read a book because I do feel like, as you said, you're summarizing it, what's in an entire book into a couple sentences. And I do feel like, as we mentioned at the very beginning of this episode, education is, is, it's an ongoing process. So, you know, reading one book, speaking up one time, that's not enough. This is an ongoing, you know, actually it leads into my next question, which is um, where do you begin with unlearning behaviors, right? If you want to change your behaviors and have this be part of your new behavior, how do people, you know, basically get ready for change or, or prepare themselves for it, for that? I mean, I think that we're seeing right now what it looks like to see people who are ready for change. You know, that's what we're seeing with these protests and with the discussions and the conversations and the the violence. And it's just, this is what it looks like. And so I think that in terms of unlearning behaviors or deepening your own education, your your own understanding, I think what people have to realize, especially those who are coming at this now versus before is that this is not something where you can be given a list of a a checklist and you can check everything off and then say, great, I'm not a racist anymore. It doesn't work that way. And it doesn't work where you can read one book and then you're done. The work is ever 
it's, it's just, it's always happening. There will always be work to do. And I think that a lot of times people who haven't had to really think about this, who've had that privilege of not being aware when they are faced with this reality, that's honestly, it can be a really big turnoff for a lot of people because who wants to be doing work all the time, especially when the work can be dangerous. It can be violent. It can be really uncomfortable. It can force you to look at truths about yourself that you may not want to see. And a lot of people are faced with this and say, okay, great. No, thanks. Going to go back to sipping my mimosa at brunch and not really worrying about this. And so one of the things that I actually share a lot with my trainings is I ask people, you know, on average, how long does it take to affect organizational change within an organization? So if you have an organization and you want to change up the culture, how long does that take? And people will usually throw out a couple of guesses, like a couple months, a year, two years. So on average, it takes seven to 10 years, which, you know, most people are like, oh God, that sounds like so long. But then I follow up with the kicker, which is it takes seven to 10 years of prolonged, sustained work. It's not just seven to 10 years of a training or or a book club or watching a video. It's seven to 10 years of real work. And then if you take that out of the organizational workplace context and you look at ourselves as individuals, we're unlearning things that have been taught to us before we were even born. Guess how long that's going to take? Yeah. (laughs) Those are such great points. And I wanted to add to that too. I think one of the key components for unlearning slash learning, relearning or whatever, is having a growth mindset. I think being able to understand that you can make mistakes and be fallible and learn and not be, like you said earlier, Felicia, not be defensive, I think is just such a key critical component. You're going to have, especially with this work, I would be shocked if as you learn, especially in the beginning, as you really start to learn, you don't have moments where you're just ashamed. Yeah. You know, that you you have you're gonna break down, you're going to be upset, and you're gonna have a lot of really uncomfortable feelings. But as someone who has gone through that myself, like I can say you get to the other side of that as a I'd like to think a much better person. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I, I can yeah. I can relate to that because I feel like, you know, it doesn't feel good to be like, wait, I thought I was fine, but I'm not, you know, like just speaking from my own experience as being a white woman, like educating yourself and, and having the uncomfortable, you know, I, I was looking at some of these like journal prompts and I was thinking about this and, you know, I, I very much, as you said, like there were definitely moments of, or, or feelings of shame also. And it's it, just to keep it real <laughs> on here on the podcast. I, I think that's, it's nice to hear you say that because I think that also makes a lot of people, uh, when they're uncomfortable or have shame, like they, they stop, they want to be done with it. They don't want to do it anymore. Yeah. Or they, or they may channel it in a way that might not be the best way to do so. And, and just for what it's worth. I mean, when, when that does happen, it's it's definitely worth. There are some great resources we can recommend. Like I think one of the key book is White Fragility. Great topic to deal with that as you're going through this learning and unlearning process. Yeah, what a, uh, I was just going to ask that too. What anti-racism resources do you guys recommend, or have you found really helpful? Well, we have a whole list. We actually we just shared a pretty extensive list with our community this morning and we can share that with you as well. Oh, perfect. Your community. I, I'll hesitate to call anyone out specifically because I think there's just so many great resources that, that are out there. And I think what even Rachel and I are seeing is that as we've shared this with our own community, we're seeing there's still so many more amazing resources that we were not aware of. Yeah. And I, again, we're at this point where people are really just thinking and talking and working on this so much. And there's just so many organizers out there who are pulling together a lot of great things. I will share one resource, which I've, <laughs> I found really helpful, not even just recently, but in the past couple of years, which is maybe surprising, but Teen Vogue, I think is just doing some of the best writing and journalism out there in topics related to racism, anti-racism, misogyny, all sorts of different topics. And you know, for a magazine that was targeted primarily towards teen girls, I think the pivot they've made in the last couple of years and the the information they're putting out is just really stellar. Yeah. yeah, I agree with that. And I would add to that 
So I was a history major in college. There's a great book that we read is a people's history of the United States, which goes beyond racism, but it really dives into the alternative history that we don't get when we're in from high school history. So I definitely recommend that as well. Awesome. Those are great. And up next, we have Rachel and Felicia will share some specific ways that you can use your power and privilege to be actively anti-racist at work and life. Okay, so let's go into like, these are the actionable steps because I actually had a lot of people send us DMs in the last few days where I think that what's happening, you guys are probably noticing this too, is that people want to do this. Or, and it's, this was a white woman who uh, was in our DM and she said, I want to do this, but can you give me some actionable ways to use my power and privilege to be actively anti-racist at work? And she wants like meaningful, meaningful ways. So even actions or even examples that we can provide. Yeah, I think there, there's a ton of stuff that people can do out there, but one actionable thing is to, especially in the climate and what's going on today, is take some of the burden off of your your black colleagues and beyond black colleagues, also your your people of color colleagues. But I think specifically considering what's happening right now, your black colleagues, take some of that burden off of them because they shouldn't always have to be explaining and teaching and sharing and, you know, performing their feelings in front of people. And especially in a workplace context, I think that we were actually talking about this, this idea last week in a meetup that we held around how to be an ally and how to be an ally at work. And sometimes messages that come from someone who looks like you lands differently than if it comes from someone who doesn't look like you. And I think that this is where, you know, we were talking about white fragility just a minute ago. This is where you can really use your whiteness in a very powerful way to push the message forward where maybe if someone was saying something who's a person of color, it might not land in the same way. And so, you know, there's a place for people to leverage that privilege to really continue that conversation, but it doesn't always happen. And so I think really, again, not being afraid or being okay with being afraid and stepping in it and saying, I might mess it up, but at least I'll say something and, and try to enter into this conversation um, in a really meaningful way, as opposed to just not saying anything at all. I love that. And there's, there's a great organization that I want to share too, which is called Stand Up for Racial Justice Surge. And they have local chapters all over um, and we've got a bunch of different websites and Facebook groups. And I think it's just a great resource for white allies to find ways to support people of color in work and outside of work. And just wanted to add that in. Yeah, I, I just was writing that down to put it in the show notes. I think that the more resources we can give people, the, the better right now. Because when you said also, uh, Felicia, about the you know not putting the burden on your black colleagues or your colleagues of color, I guess specifically, is it asking them to explain to you and teach you? Or is it saying, I guess I, I was thinking about this from something I just did the other day where I asked, I reached out to my friend, she's black and she's also in the career space. And I asked her, how are you doing? Is there, is there any way I can help? Is it like the burden of like, don't say anything or more the burden of asking her to be like, explain to me what you're feeling right now and why, why, why that's yeah, not sitting well. <laughs> it's all of it. And actually thank you for sharing that because um, that, that helps illuminate one really subtle piece of it, which I'd love to talk about. So before I get to that, the previous thing you were saying around um, not asking people to teach, absolutely. Like I like to joke in my trainings that you shouldn't expect or ask your colleagues of color to teach unless it's literally their job to teach. Yeah, you're actually <laughs> and in that case, then it's a little different. But yeah. even then, you know, we're still we're still human beings. And so even then someone who is a teacher, who is a person of color, who's black, may be dealing with feelings and experiences that they need their own time to step away or heal. So that's the first piece of it. The second piece with um, what you shared around reaching out to your colleague. So this is something where, you know, just to be really kind of transparent, I've actually been learning a lot myself lately in the last couple of days too, where even as of a few days ago, I was like, yes, we need to reach out to our, our black colleagues and ask, how can I support you? And then I was myself educated and learned that that can actually be a burden in and of itself 
because then, you know, people are constantly having to answer and explain or, or even share, that might not be something that they may want to be even discussing. And so I think that it's a nuanced correction, but instead of saying, how can I support you? Say, I'm here should you need support. I'm here to listen. And so you're still reaching out, you're still making a statement, but you're not asking them or expecting them to give you anything back. And they can choose how they want to engage. And they may say, great, yes, here's how you can help me. Or they can say, you know, delete, tweet, delete, text, whatever it might be. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. No, that and for me, that's that's exactly what I want. I want to make sure that I am not adding a burden. And yet I also don't want to stay silent. So that example of I'm here. Should you need me? Because I also understand what you're saying, because sometimes if someone says, how are you? You're like, now I got to respond to this. Yeah. Or you're like, I'm fine, you know, and you're really not fine, but you don't right. want to get into it. <laughs> or you yeah. don't have the emotional energy or the spoons to do it, you know? And so it's just like, yeah, okay, great. Like, I know if I need to reach out, I can, but I don't have to, or sometimes it's even just not being put on the spot. You know, I might not be in the mental headspace to respond to someone who's reaching out. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, just something to keep in mind. So I actually have been doing a lot of reading, especially on Twitter, because Rachel knows I, I love me some Twitter. <laughs> I try to really intentionally curate who I follow and who I listen to. And so I do want to sort of shout out one one account that I have found a lot of really great tips from, who is Dr. Erin Thomas, who I don't forget her exact title, but she basically oversees diversity and inclusion at Upwork. And she's just been putting out amazing information and resources. And so I'll share a tip or two to add to what we just shared previously, but I do want to just say this is really coming from her, not so much from me, but I do think it's a really, really important thing that she's, a conversation that she's having. So in the same vein as thinking about how you phrase when you reach out to people. If you're working at a company and you want to reach out to people within your organization, a lot of companies these days have affinity groups or employee resource groups or ERGs as we like to call them. And so there are a lot of black ERGs that are out there. And so your natural instinct, especially if you're in a position of power at your company might be, oh God, what is happening? I'm a white person or I'm not a black person. Let me reach out to this conveniently situated set up black ERG and ask them to tell me, how do I handle this? What do I say? How do I support my people through what the craziness that is happening? So same thing goes for them, just as it might go for your friend if you're trying to text them and reach out or call them check in with your black ERG leaders or your black affinity group leaders, or even people who are black within your company and just check in and see, you know, let them know that you're there. Let them know you're listening. If they have the energy, if they have the wherewithal, if they want to help and kind of dive in and if they have ideas and they're willing to do so, great. But if they're not, like you need to figure it out on your own. And this is where we talked about the idea of you have to do the work. This is where the work comes in. And I know a lot of leaders are sort of scrambling out there right now to figure out, okay, I have work to do and I didn't even know and I have to kind of get myself up to speed in, you know, a couple of days, a couple of hours and read all the things and know all the things. And it's okay to not be completely perfect, but you should still say something because we've been hearing from a lot of community members even today where they're reaching out to us and saying, hey, I'm the only black person at my company. I'm the only person of color at my mm-hmm. company. Thank you for sharing this, you know, this letter that we wrote. Thank you for sharing these resources because no one at my company has said anything. And it is really hard when you're the only, when you're the other can be really hard if there's a huge amount of people who look like you at a company, but especially when there are not a lot of other people around and you might have leadership with great intentions leaning on you, it's really, really difficult. It's a hard position to be in. So we need to do the most that we can to take that burden, take that pressure off of people. But also, as I was saying, to still say something because saying something is better than doing nothing or saying nothing. And I think that's where we're really seeing, especially today, it's we're seeing a lot of organizations are not saying anything, which to me is really, I don't understand. Yeah. It's actually a really interesting point because I, I think I get why companies are scared to say something because if they do say something wrong, they'll get clapped back on Twitter, et cetera. So it's interesting because we, we, you know, we're very much, especially lately saying black lives matter. And we actually did have somebody in our community say, well, actually all lives matter, you know? And I think that, you know, her intention was, can we all just get along? Everyone's 
in this together. Everyone is, you know, she didn't understand, didn't have the context. She didn't understand. And she put herself out there and she made it, you know, and it was responded to. And I can see, obviously, that's a very extreme case of saying like the worst kind of thing. But I think that there's, there's probably some concern for leadership to say something and then get called out for saying something wrong. I think that it is up to a leader to take that chance. And if they screw it up, they apologize. And you know what? If, if there are people out there that don't want it, don't want to hear it, don't want to, don't accept the apology, it is what it is. But I think to Felicia's point, it is worth the try and is worth doing a little bit of research, like you said, if you can, before making a statement, if you're really uncomfortable, if you're all white leadership and you're trying and you want to do something, see if you can reach out to other people or right. do some research. We had someone in our community say the same thing. And she said that the fact that they haven't said anything is incredibly disappointing. So I agree. I, I do think it's better to say something, obviously with some, you know, think before you speak, at least, you know, a little bit, I guess. But yes, to, to stay silent, you know, there's a lot of this on Instagram, but like silence does come across as if you're condoning it. And it goes right back to what we talked about at the very beginning of this episode, which is there's a difference between being actively anti-racist versus not racist. Are there any other examples of what anti-racism in the workplace looks like, specifically, you know, things people say or do or, or, or can, you know, I, I think, you know, especially virtually, right? Like now we're working virtually with our colleagues. I really liked the example of saying, I'm here to support you if you need it versus how are you, where you're basically adding an, another thing on their to-do list versus letting them know, like, I, I'm here for you if you need it. Is there anything else we could say right now that, you know, would be that example or really make sure that the other person recognizes that? Yeah, I think, and to your point, we're all virtual, or I should say most of us are virtual at this point. Not everyone is. So because we're virtual, it's brought up a lot of opportunities, but also it's, there's constraints and restrictions. I think if you haven't already helping to create some kind of space where people, especially given what we're talking about right now, where Black people can gather to use that space however they need. And then don't insert yourself in that space if you are not Black or if you are not whatever that community is that you're creating the space for. Because I think, especially going back to the idea around, you know, white privilege, white allies, white understanding of a lot of these topics, another sort of default reaction or, or go-to reaction, especially when people start learning and understanding is they, they want to learn it all. And they're like, teach me everything. And I'm here and I'm an ally and I want to show you and prove to you like how much strong. of an ally I am. <laughs> and guess what? Like there are spaces that shouldn't be for you and that's okay. But there sometimes is this like, you know, going over the edge reaction where white allies insert themselves and they're not wanted in these spaces. And honestly, they will never be welcome in those spaces. And it's okay because sometimes we have to exclude in order to include. And so that's one example, creating space and then retreating and letting people use that space however they want to. I think also we've been practicing some of this in our own team meetings in the last couple of weeks is creating space within a team meeting agenda to talk about what's happening. And this is not something that just needs to be, you know, sort of kept just for your Black employees or your Black colleagues or your people of color colleagues. It can be for everybody because we are, you know, to Rachel's point with the person in our community who said all lives matter, we are all dealing with stuff right now. You know, I mean, coronavirus protests. And so even if we're not all intimately affected, there are still things going on around all of us. And so in that case, yes, we are all dealing with things in some way. And so just creating space to talk about what is going on within the structure of a team meeting. And if you're not thinking about this at work, it could be within the structure of a check-in call with your friend or within the structure of a weekly Zoom with your family or, you know, over dinner, your, your conversation with your partner, just creating some space to say, hey, stuff is happening. Do you want to talk about it? Or I want to talk about it. And then going one step further and not just saying, as I just did, stuff is happening or things are crazy or, oh, it's so intense out there, but really naming what's happening and 
even more specifically naming the people who are literally getting murdered. Don't just say people are dying. Say George Floyd died, Breonna Taylor died, Ahmaud Arbery died, uh, Tony McDay died. Just name people because a lot of what people are dealing with right now is this perceived erasure of what's going on, this, you know, gaslighting, this just skimming over what's happening. And so even just naming it and being really explicit and clear, it can be really, really powerful in having conversations around this. Yeah. I think all of that is so powerful. Thank you, Felicia. And I will say if anyone's listening to this who is in a position of power when it comes to you know being a manager with a budget or an executive, somebody who has who actually has budget, I'm a big proponent of putting your money where your mouth is when it comes to this work too to support your company. I think, you know, certainly, you know, we've talked with a lot of companies that say they really, really want to do this. But as soon as they find out that it costs, you know, a quarter of what it costs to get, you know, a thousand Buddies that have swag on them, we realize that the work isn't as important. And whether it's training or giving budget to your ERGs or sponsoring conferences that promote this work, you know, it. I think it speaks a lot to the culture. Um, yeah. I think that's a really good way for for you to not only do the work and have it be impactful, but also to signal to people, um, both in your company and outside, you do care about this enough to actually put what matters most to many people. Yeah, I'll I'll add one more thing too on that note. I've been seeing a lot of conversations, especially given that we're in the beginning part of June now, where, and especially given that we're all virtual now, where people are saying, hey, you know, we're entering into Pride Month. Uh, In the last couple of years, especially, a lot of companies had been really going all out and spending a ton of money on Pride, whether it's floats, whether it's swag, whether it's all sorts of stuff. So people have been saying, where's that budget going to go? Because is that money gone? Or are we going to see, you know, it being put to other use? Or is it just, just, has it disappeared? Because it's not as fun to spend that money when you can't have hoodies with rainbows on them, right? So I think that's another um, really interesting point that will be starting to play out. And especially if you're at a company, like, it's this stuff costs, right? And it, that doesn't mean to say that you can't be doing this work without budget or without money, because you absolutely can. But if you are in a position to allocate budget, this is something that you have to really think about and say, you know, am I willing to spend or am I not? Be really transparent about that. And, you know, if you're making commitments now in the middle of a global crisis and the middle of global protests, then you have to be willing to back up those commitments whenever we sort of quote unquote come through on the other side, when maybe it's not as crazy in terms of all these protests where it's not as intense and you have to be willing to stand by these commitments. And I wanted to share one other thought too, which was that on a more personal level, I was telling Rachel earlier that I've been waking up the last couple of days and my morning routine has shifted a little bit where I wake up, I have my cup of coffee, I hop on the Twitter, I get really angry, I retweet a bunch of people, I have a bunch of conversations, <laughs> and then I hop on over to uh, to some organization and I make a $50 donation. And so that's not necessarily sustainable because I don't have super deep pockets as some other people do, but it's something that I've just been really, really aware that, you know, my own privileges where I have, I don't have a ton of money to share in that way, but I do have some and I can't just be personally, I can't just be someone who says, yes, we have to support people. And yes, you know, people should be donating without actually donating and supporting myself right. because that's sort of like the ultimate hypocrisy in my mind. So I've been doing that and we'll see, you know, I'll, I'll be continuing it in some way, even if the donations have to go down too. Well, yeah. And we're, you know, we're, we're a very, very tiny company with a very tiny little budget that has frankly been affected pretty <laughs> <laughs> pretty pretty heavily, frankly, by by this crisis. But we made the decision as a company literally today to donate going forward a portion of the proceeds for any of our training to a nonprofit. Oh my gosh, I'm blanking on it. Felicia, National bailout. Thank you, National Bailout. Um, That's what the teamwork, teamwork is for. Teamwork is makes dream work. <laughs> so yeah, we just made that decision today and we're going to be, um, we had a, a webinar related to job search earlier today and we made the decision to donate a bunch of money also just for that one event because it's, you know, it's just, it's too important. 
it's just it's yeah. just too important and you know we're not we're not wealthy people it's not it's not about that it's just it's about trying to make a difference where you can yeah i completely agree with that and i'll put a link to we put up a bunch of places where you can donate today on career contessa so i'll link to that in the show notes as well mm-hmm. i think my my last question and I guess this goes from the perspective of, well, I guess it could be a, a black person or a non-black person, but what, what do you say to your employer when you need time off either to protest or really you just need a mental health day to deal with the grief of, of this? You know, I don't know, maybe we could take this from two angles. What do you say if you're the employee asking your employer and as employers, this is something that you should be actively you know, again, ta- like recognizing that, uh, like we gave the example of the person both in your community and our community who said that their employer hasn't even acknowledged this. Yeah. I think this is a great example of how to be actively anti-racist, <laughs> especially yeah. on the employer's part where we've been talking a lot in recent years about how to bring your authentic self to work. And now we're seeing people realizing that that doesn't always mean having fun pictures up at your desk or, you know, sharing exciting stuff. It means dealing with the reality that people are humans and are full of a lot of different experiences and emotions. And sometimes it can be grief and rage and need time. And especially that there may be people who are experiencing what's going on right now in really different ways than you yourself are. So if you are in a position where you can, whether it's a leader, a manager, or, or whoever that might be at a company actively saying, you know, I'm going to be giving time off to everybody, or if anyone needs time, you know, just a reminder that the vacation policy, you have all this time to use or whatever that might look like. With SGO, again, we're a small company, but in the last couple of weeks, we've started to basically give everyone a day off because we realized that we we really need to recognize that mental health and burnout is a real thing. And that if we're feeling burned out, then our employees are probably feeling really burned out too. And even if they're not, then it's okay. Let them have a day where they can do whatever they want to do. It, it, it doesn't matter what it is, you know? And so, so that's one way to sort of actively look at it. And then I think on the flip side of it, if you're the employee who has to ask, it's so hard because again, like hopefully you shouldn't have to be in that position, but maybe it can be reaching out to organizations like ours and sharing some of the the writings that we've been doing around this, these types of topics. Or, you know, if you have a manager or uh, someone that you trust who you can share this with and, and, you know, sharing that you need to take time off. And I think that it's just, it's something where we just collectively as a whole have to be much more understanding and it doesn't even have to relate to the protesting. It can be, you know, coronavirus, right? We yeah. were talking about that at the beginning. Like <laughs> there's just so much that is happening right now. And I think if you're an organization that does not recognize that stuff is going down, then <laughs> you're, behind, you're, you're yeah. behind the curve. And there are organizations out there, right? There yeah. are organizations that are like expecting people to get back to work. I just read somewhere recently where, someone was going back to work physically in the office and his manager or or someone at the company basically shared, okay, it's been a fun vacation, but now it's time to get back to work. And he was like, what do you think we've been doing? Yeah. (laughs) We've been working really hard. So yeah, those are some of my thoughts. I'm sure you have some more to add to that, Rachel. (laughs) No, I mean, you did a great job. I was going to add the anecdote that one of our employees, that was the first, I think we, we decided to, to take off a Monday. It was the, it was the Monday, the 18th. So it was, we were going to have two Mondays off in a row because for the first time in my professional life, I had the Sunday scaries. I didn't even know that was a thing until. (laughs) Until you were working virtually. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, but what's funny is I had been working. Oh, that's right. So it wasn't even that it's just that the state of the world was in such a, everything was so heightened and the work that we're doing is so intense and we're trying to do so much and get so much out. And I was like, oh my God, I'm like, and I told Felicia and Felicia was so understanding and felt similar. Well, because I was right there with you. Exactly. (laughs) I will say it was not the first time in my life. (laughs) I was like, oh my gosh, this is a terrible feeling. So exactly to what Felicia said before is a reason we decided that we, if we're feeling this way, then probably our employees are feeling that way too. And so we had come back on the 19th and one of our employees, you know, we do a morning check-in on Slack every morning when, when we come in, especially because we, we're, I'm in a different time zone. It's also really helpful. And we have another employee who works part-time. It was great. We do a morning check-in and she, her morning check-in was, 
Oh my gosh. Thank you so much. Wow. Having that Monday off made such a huge difference. I am like feeling super productive today. And I think that's the thing that we don't even realize. I mean, it makes sense when you think about it, but like having an extra day makes you like double down on the next day. It does. Dude work. I can back this up because we did the Friday and Monday off. And when I came nice. back on Tuesday, I was like, I feel like I've been on vacation for two weeks. <laughs> like, yeah. no, we, we did too. We were like that last week was a million years ago. Yeah, yeah. exactly. No, I, I know time is, is all blurred together now these days. Well, you guys, thank you so much for sharing these actionable ways that people can use their power and privilege to be actively anti-racist at work. We're going to put a lot of resources in the show notes. Any last final thoughts that you want to share tidbits or anything like that? One little one (laughs) is, um, especially because what we're dealing with right now has to do with the criminal justice system. There's a documentary I highly recommend called 13th on Netflix. And A, recommend you just watch it yourself. I know it's so hard to watch this stuff. I steal myself sometimes too, but it's so worth it to do it. And if you can really, if you want to have it be even more impactful, watch it with a group of people do like whatever the Netflix house party or, you know, however that, however that newfangled technology works, (laughs) you know, get a group of people together and then, you know, have a conversation on Slack or whatever. Um, I think can be really, it's, it's the really wonderful eye-opening view into what is happening and I think can can shed a lot of light for people. Yeah, thank you, Rachel. Um, actually, that inspired me. So now I have two little thoughts. To oh, yeah. <laughs> That's allowed. Uh, I mean, I have a lot of thoughts at all times, but let's be real. <laughs> so first little thought is, uh, I mentioned already Twitter. I think I even mentioned this on the last podcast that we did a couple years ago with you, Lauren. And I think Twitter is a great way to expose yourself to different conversations and different groups of people. So be really intentional about who you're following. And one of the ways that I do that is if I see a post by someone, especially someone who doesn't look like me or who I have nothing in common with, but I relate to the post in some way, then I like will immediately follow that person, assuming once I do a little quick check to make sure they're not like a MAGA troll or a Russian bot. (laughs) And so that way I've actually, I think, curated a really rich, diverse group of voices that I'm constantly learning from in a lot of different industries, not just tech. Second, last little thought that I'll end with is if any of this has made you, the listener, feel uncomfortable in any way, then A, that's good because I think that's partially the point. And then B, I would challenge you to try and unpack that a little bit and figure out where is that feeling coming from and explore that. Because if it's coming from the fact that you are hearing things that you recognize in yourself or that you're realizing things that you've never had to really think about before, that's the whole point of this. And so don't let that shut you down, but use it as an opportunity to be curious and to learn and grow in your own self. I'll put this in the show notes as well, but there is this wonderful writer on Instagram who put together journal prompts and they're basically conversation starters to explore white privilege and white premacy. So those are exactly what you're saying. It's like, explore that a little bit more, ask yourself questions, dig deeper, listen. I think those are all amazing places for people to start. And I just thank you so much for, for getting on today's episode. I know as when we started, I was like, I, I know there's a lot of heavy hitter questions in there, but this is, this is definitely a, you know, a journey. This is going to be a work in progress uh, that we're all working toward. And I just really appreciate you guys sharing your advice with the Career Contessa audience. Thank you. Thank you, Lauren. Thanks for having us. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Females. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and leave us a review. It helps us a lot. We will also make sure to link to the list of anti-racism resources in the show notes, as well as the additional episodes and plenty of other good tools that we've been sharing throughout this episode. And a big thank you to Felicia Jadzak and Rachel Murray, the founders of She Geeks Out a company that empowers women in the workplace through educating, promoting, and supporting diverse and inclusive companies and organizations. She Geeks Out provides tech and tech-adjacent women and their allies an opportunity to network and connect with each other, as well as with companies who wish to hire them. 
At the same time, She Geeks Out supports companies in their diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts by providing them with the knowledge, skills, and tools to create an inclusive environment in a safe and welcoming space. You can learn more about She Geeks Out via the show notes, and they have so many incredible virtual events from job fairs to workshops that we know that you guys are going to want to bookmark their website. 